step forward, but many of you may have done that. But you really sense in your heart, you know what? I really do want more of the giver than the gifts. What did you do different this week? For those of you who responded and said, I really do want more of the giver than worrying about the gifts. What did you do different this week based on the commitment that you made? The clock is ticking. And you want to make sure you use the best that God has given you. And you want to make sure you use your time really, really well. You see, it's one thing to make a commitment. It's another thing to follow through on it or make some decisions about what adjustments I need to make based on the commitment that I've made. Now, this is New Year's weekend. It just seems like yesterday or a few days ago we had 2014, and here we are in 2015. Time is flying back really fast and flying beyond us, and all of a sudden you realize here we are in another year, 2015. And a lot of people make New Year's resolutions. I want to do this. I want to get fit. I want to get trim. I want to work out. Man, I'm going to join a gym, and I'm telling you by the end of the month I'm going to be so buff my wife won't even recognize me. You know how many people join a gym at the beginning of the year for every year and finish or quit by middle of February? 75% of them. What fascinates me is they paid for gym membership all year long. And they're done by February. What do you do different about the commitments you make? The clock is ticking in all of our lives. And no matter what our age, there's absolutely no guarantees as to how much time we have. And so we want to make sure we use it really, really well. Most likely, I'm in the fourth quarter of my life. Now, for some of you, say that's really sad or depressing. If you watch football games, you know the fourth quarter can be the best. If you watch any of the bowl games this weekend, for Michigan State, the fourth quarter was the best, and they finished amazingly well. It's not always about how much time I get or how much energy I get or how long it lasts. What is important is the critical question, what do I do with what I've been given? What will I do with this gift called time? What will I do with this gift of life that God has given me? I don't want to waste it. I want to use it really, really well. And I want to make sure that I've lived it to the end and I've lived it to the fullest. And so when it's all said and done, I have very little regrets. And I know that I've used to the best of my ability this amazing gift called life that God has given me. An article years ago from Christianity Today quoted another article that said this. If you're 35, you've got 500 days to live. Thinking 35, man, I'm just starting. Right in the middle, how can I have 500 days left? Now, what they obviously did in that context is they took out the time sleeping, the time working, and doing personal hygiene things, which we're wanting you all to do. And they said, based on all of that, if you're 35 and you live to around 70, which is what obviously Scripture says, you got about 500 days that you can usually do with what you want. And so the question they ask in the context of that article is, what am I doing with that gift called life? What am I doing with this time? What am I doing with those things God has given me? I've got a couple of things that I have in my office every once in a while. One of them is this. It's it's an old clock. Now, obviously, you just heard a chime. For those of you whose hearing is better than mine. Every 15 minutes it does that. I don't know if you have one of those in your house. If I was really a creative pastor when I talked about time, I'd have had this whole sanctuary filled with grandfather clocks. And then I thought, who's going to want to donate their $1,000 family heirloom for me to use as a demonstration here this morning? So I brought this one out of my office. It's my grandmother's. It represents a couple of things. One, the passing of generations. My grandmother had one of these. It was in her house. My mom has one of these. When I get down to stay overnight, I've got to take the batteries out of that when this one doesn't have it. So that chiming every 15 minutes keeps me awake, and I'm going 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'm still awake. Reminds me of two things. 
One is the fact that time is going by. And when I look at it every once in a while, I'm reminded of the passing generations, and I'm also reminded of the passing of time. A couple of months ago, when we were in Acts, I pointed out to you one of the most fascinating verses in that book. When it sums up David's life, one of the most well-known characters in the entire Old Testament, in a verse that says, David served his generation well, and then he died. All of his life is wrapped up in that one phrase, he served his generation well. But if you look at that phrase, it's something that I say, I want to do. I only have one generation. I'm now the third generation who's had this, and I want to make sure in my generation I've served God well, and I've served him wisely. And I've done what he's asked me to do, and I fulfilled the plan that he has for me. Another thing that I have up here this morning is this. Now you're wondering, he lost all his marbles and finally found them. That's really awesome. How many marbles are in here? No, it's not a guessing game. 936. What it represents and what you can do as a family, especially if God has blessed you with a new baby, is that there is one marble for every week of your child's life from the time they're born till they're 18 and hopefully move out of your house. One marble for every week from the time they're born till they're 18 and kind of go off on their own. And what a lot of families do, Joe has a version of this in his office. It's pretty large. And he's got another one. He takes one out of here and puts it in this one. And all of a sudden, you see visually in front of you the amount of time that you've spent with your children, the amount of time that you have left before they're 18. Reggie Joyner, who does this one, he's got a book called Losing Your Marbles. And uh, he's 252 that we use for our Upstreet and Wonderland Ministries is, is a lot of what Reggie Joyner does, especially Upstreet. Developed an app, a legacy countdown app. And what a lot of parents do if they think really clearly about that is have that visual in front of them. And, and they'll take a marble out for every week and all of a sudden see that, wow, my time with my kids is, is, is flowing down. Now, you all know that when you watch them grow. But it's just one of those visual reminders of doing that or seeing that in front of you. And all of a sudden you're seeing the other one fill up. And you find yourself saying, wow, this is awesome to see what I've been able to put into my kids. The things we've done, the things we've shared, the things they've learned. And as I watch this one fill up, I'm just saying, God, I, I really hope that I've done everything that I could to prepare them for the next phase of their life. A lot of you are home from college, and we are so delighted to have you. And tomorrow or this week somewhere, you start back into that next chapter of your life. And as a parent, you want to make sure you've done as much as you can with that valuable, wonderful commodity that God has given you in regards to time. And this amazing gift that he's given you in regards to his children. And you want to use it wisely and use it well. And so every once in a while, a visual helps you do that to remember this is a gift and I want to use it wisely and I want to use it well. Now the world would say, live it up. You only go around once, get everything you can. Enjoy it while it lasts. But God says, use it wisely and invest it well. Proverbs 19.21 said, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. I want to get a couple psalms this morning. You don't have to turn to this one. I'll get you in a moment when you turn to Psalm 139. But Psalm 90 is one of those psalms that I read pretty much at every funeral of an older individual. It's that classic section of Scripture, most likely written by Moses. Many say it wasn't David who wrote most of the psalms with Moses, but he talked about life and the speed of life and the amazing 
nature of God and the magnitude of God. And, and then he looks at us, and you've got to remember, he's writing to a people who are used to people living six, seven, eight hundred years, 969 years Methuselah lived. And then at that point, everything began to change, and God said, I, I need you to know that life's really short. Matter of fact, you get 70 years, maybe 80 if by reason of strength, but if you do and you pass that milestone, there's going to be some labor and sorrow that goes with that, aches and pains that are naturally going to come as your body begins to deteriorate. Those of you who have passed those milestones, you are aware of that. Body doesn't respond as well, doesn't function as well, and you realize you've got a lot of aches and pains that you didn't have before. On Tuesday, we were headed out to our children's place in Ohio and went outside to do something really quick and slipped off the back porch and went down on my side. And the moment I did that, I realized this is going to take me at least a week and a half to recover from. Normally, in the old days, it would have been get yourself up, brush yourself off, put some dirt on it, and duct tape. That's Dad's answer to everything. And go on with your life. I'm thinking this is going to take me a week to recover from. Those of you who are there know that. He said there's going to be some sorrow, and one of the sorrows that goes with that is a lot of your friends aren't here anymore. All of a sudden, you find yourself going to more and more funerals as your peers begin to pass away. I talk to my parents every week, and it seems like almost every week they're going to another funeral. They're 80s, mid-80s, late 80s, and they're going to another funeral. And David's, or the psalmist says, look, I just need you to know, time's short. Use it really well. Because eventually, physically on this earth, it's going to run out. Now, if you know Christ is your Savior, obviously you'll live forever. But here on this planet, you've got a short amount of time. A number of conclusions that the psalmist makes. But the one that I always concentrate on is the one that comes up in verse 12 when he said, Look, now in light of what I just shared with you, in light of what I just told you, you've got 70, maybe 80 years. Use it well. Use it really wisely. Almost ends with a prayer. God, in light of what you just now told me, in light of what you just now shared with me, that I don't have six or eight or 900 years anymore like others used to, I've got this short window of time. Help me to use it really wisely. Help me to use it really, really well. Doesn't mean you can't live life and enjoy life and have fun things and all of that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, Lord, in light of what I now know, in light of this awareness of that fact, help me to use it really, really wisely. As I evaluate the complexity and yet brevity of life, I really want to understand the value of time and what I've been given, and I want to use it really, really well. Turn to Psalm 139 for a moment. One of my favorite. I love that David's honest. I mean, how can you not? I love his honesty. He said, all right, Lord, I'm like, I can't hide anything from you. You, you. you know exactly who I am. I can fool them. I can fool the folks at church. I can fool those in the kingdom. I can fool my coworkers. I can even fool my wife. But I can't fool you. You know me. You search me and you know who I am. You know when I sit, you know when I rise. Perceive my thoughts from afar, so why hide them? You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You've laid your hand on me. This knowledge is too wonderful for me to attain, too, too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. I don't get It's just amazing, God. Now, for some, that's scary. For others, it's awesome. No matter where I go, God's there. 
No matter what I'm going through, no matter how high the, va- how high the mountain or how deep the valley, I know he's there, and that's awesome. For others, it can be scary. David says, God, I just, I'm overwhelmed by that, that you know me that well. Where can I go from your spirit when I flee from your presence? If, if I were to go up the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, there you are. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, and your right hand will hold me fast. For you created my, verse 13, inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame wasn't hidden for you, from you when I was made in a secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, there are obviously a half a dozen messages in there. One sidebar is obviously this particular month. Our nation naturally is in debate, still in debate about the status of the unborn. The course may be confused, but one of the things that you obviously know in here, that God is really clear about life. And when it begins, and he's very clear about what a fetus is, it's life. And even if the world can't make up its mind, and certainly the courts won't make up their mind or commit to anything, God said, look, I clearly want you to know that's life. I formed it. I shape it. It's handmade by me. Don't destroy it. A couple of weeks from now, actually, is Right of Life Sunday. And what we've done in the last few years is partner with Life Choices and the Baby Bottle Campaign and we're going to do it again. You respond so well, and we have so much fun with it, and they're going to be here. But as you share that day and think about it that day and have that bottle in your hand for the next few weeks, uh, remember this passage of Scripture. The thing I want to point out in light of the message this morning is verse 16. All the days ordained for me are written in your book. All the days ordained for me are written in your book. You know what that means? God has a very specific plan for your life. God knows a lot about you. God knows everything about you. And he has a very specific purpose for your life. Ephesians 2.10, you can write somewhere beside that section of Scripture. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In the book Calling, the author asks those classic philosophical questions. Do people shape history or does history shape people? Sociologists ask it this way, is a person a product of their environment or is environment a product of him? It can go either way. I can either let life influence me or I can make a difference. Years ago when I was a youth pastor, I spoke to young people all the time about being a thermometer or a thermostat. You can either adjust to your environment, become what it is, or you can make a difference. You can actually adjust yourself. You can actually change the environment around you by the life that you live. And you have to decide, am I just going to go along with a crowd and be what it is, or am I going to be somebody who really does make a difference? Am I going to influence those around me? Whatever environment God places me, wherever he puts me, whatever I have the opportunity to do, will I make a difference with where I am? When I look at these sections of Scripture and Psalm 139 and Ephesians 2, it appears to me that God went to a lot of trouble to design us so that he could call us to do a very special purpose. Bill Hybels in his book, The Volunteer Revolution, says this. A number of years ago, a new staff member from our church said to me, how can you ask people who are already so busy at work, so busy at home, to get involved as volunteers at the church? My response has been this. Godly, conscientious people feel really thankful about their jobs. But they don't always find satisfaction for their souls. Some of them love their jobs. They feel very stimulated and really energized. They leave their workplace knowing that each day they've honored God by their work and their love for people. 
But sometimes they know there's more to it than that. I looked directly into the eyes of my young friend and said this. You and I have the opportunity to invite these people to be used by God in ways they've never imagined. We have the opportunity to empower them to develop gifts they maybe never knew they had. We can cheer them on as they courageously assume new levels of kingdom responsibility that fill their hearts with overflowing. And we get to look in their faces and see the look on their faces when they realize they've been used by God to touch another human being whose life has now changed forever. No, my young friend, I never apologize for asking anybody to be volunteers in our church to join God on this amazing mission of transforming lives forever. Some people think that God's in the edge of heaven somewhere sitting around listening to worship music. The Bible seems to say it much different. It teaches us that God is at work all over the world, filling his followers with grace and mercy and power, the power of his spirit to reclaim and redeem and fix this broken planet. It's as if God has work gloves on, and he calls us to roll up our sleeves and join him with our talents, our money, our time, and our passion. He wants his mission to be ours. Now, if you're like Solomon chasing after the wind, God says, keep on doing that. But if you want to hook up with me to transform this hurting planet, I would love for you to do that. So that when it's all said and done and you lay your head down on a pillow of life or the end of your day, you can say, you know what I did today? I teamed up with God to change a life. I did it at work. I did it where I served. I did it at church. I did it in a community, but I teamed up with God Almighty. And I used my gifts and my talents and my day and my energy and my passion for his glory. And in the middle of all of that, maybe, just maybe, or even for sure, a life was changed forever. Now that lets me go to sleep with a really good feeling in my heart. The desire to be a world changer is planted in the heart of every human being, and that heart, that desire comes directly from the heart of God. We can suffocate that desire with selfishness. We can challenge it with competing demands. We can bypass it on the track to personal achievement, or we can team up with God to change lives forever. Every churchgoer has a decision to make. Can you hear the chime over the rain? <laughs> Glad you all floated in here this morning. Every churchgoer has a decision to make. They can park in their usual spot, sit in their comfortable seat, the same place they always do every Sunday. They can enjoy the service, chat with their friends, and go home, and that makes a safe, nice Sunday morning experience. Or they can throw themselves into an adventure by rolling up their sleeves and joining with like-minded servants of God, helping to build a local church that God called them to be a part of because it's his bride. It's the precious thing that God has that he said, one day I want to take it with me and I'm waiting until those that hear and those that need to hear, hear. I'm not going to always wait. Someday time as humanity knows it is going to stop and cease and run out. And I'm going to return, but in the meantime, I want you to do everything you possibly can to make sure as many as you come in contact with know what you have found in Jesus. I won't wait forever, but I'm, I'm waiting because I don't want anybody to perish. I don't want anyone to miss it. And he asked us to partner with him in that adventure. On Easter Sunday, I had a friend who came for the first time that I know of. It was so full in the particular service that he came and he had to stand. I was shocked, number one, that he came back. And then he's been coming back pretty regularly ever since. 
A few weeks ago in the Christmas series when I said, hey, next Sunday I'm going to start a three-week Christmas series. I want you to invite a friend. He literally filled up an entire row of people who's only been here for a few months who said, I want them to find what I found. I want them to experience this as well. You and I have been called by God to join him on an incredible adventure. Each of us has been assigned and given the necessary resources. We've been given different gifts and all kinds of resources, all based on God's choice. At the end of Jesus' ministry, each of the authors had an opportunity to, to write down some thoughts or things they heard him say and some parables and some stories. John is the one who said, look, if I were to tell you everything Jesus did, the libraries of the world couldn't hold it. Matthew writes down a number of interactions that he had with the Pharisees and a number of stories and parables that Jesus gave. One of the ones that you're probably most familiar with is out of Matthew 25 when he said, look, I I don't know if you fully grasp yet what I'm talking about in regards to the kingdom of heaven and, and what the future is like and what I've given you now and what I want you to do. So let me try to describe it this way. It's like a, a man going on a journey had some resources, and he handed them out to the people around him, and he said, I want you to use it well. I want you to use it wisely. I've shared with you before that my dad always used to do that. When he would go to town, he would give my brother and I a list of things to do, and I'm telling you, we always knew he was coming back, and we better knew that we had it done before he returned. When I looked at this story, I thought, Dad, you're in the Bible all over the place, but you're really in this one. Because that master returns to see what they did, and it scared them to death in one case, and I always felt like that. When they came back, he looked at the three servants, and he said, you know, I gave you five, and you, you, you really did well with it. Matter of fact, you doubled it. I gave you two, and you doubled it as well. And then he comes to the one and said, how did you not at least use what I gave you? Now, he could have had all kinds of answers. He buried it and kind of put it away. He could have said, well, why'd you give him five, by the way? What's, what's the difference between me and him? I, at least two. I mean, you could have given me three. The issue isn't what he got. It's what he did with what he had. Here are all kinds of people say, boy, if I just had a million bucks, I'd be the most generous person on the planet. Not always. If it doesn't flow now, it probably won't then. I have found down through the years of ministry that generosity and wealth don't always go together. Many times it does incredibly generous people who are amazingly wealthy and others who aren't, who have a lot. It's not always associated with what I have. It is always associated with what I do with what I have. And that's what he was trying to say to this guy. Look, I, I, it was up to me, totally up to me. I decided to give him five and him two, and you won. Had nothing to do with what you got. It had everything to do with what you did with what you have. Well, why does one guy get 90 years and the other guy get 14? It's not fair, God. Yeah, totally get it from your perspective. But what are you doing with what you have? The choice is up to us to use what he has given us. What an unbelievable model in Jesus. Amazing model of servanthood who didn't just sit around and give orders but was involved and literally displayed it every day of his ministry life here on this planet. I mean, what great leader do you know that would wash his disciples' feet? What great leader do you know who would wash the feet of the people around him? 
Many people who are important or powerful have a number of people, a large entourage around them who do the menial tasks. We have a servant of God, the son of God, who himself came to this planet that we celebrated these last few weeks and dug himself in, camped with us, tabernacled with us, got his fingernails dirty, got his hands greasy, touched and loved and lived and lied to the lives of the people that he touched on a regular basis. He said, now what you've seen me do, do. Use wisely with what I've given you. He calls us to join him on this incredible adventure of abandonment and our part to change the world and do it until we see him face to face. Tony Campolo in his book that I mentioned before, who switched the price tags, interviewed people who were over 90 or 100 years, I can't remember the context, but interviewed a number of them and found three things in common. One is they wish they would have reflected more. He said, what would you do differently if you had it to do all over again? The majority of them said, I, I wish I would have reflected more, which I love about the Mary story. She pondered all these things. She wondered. She began to stop every so often and not see so crazy in life going in a thousand different directions, but stop long enough to enjoy the moments of life. Who wasn't involved in doing 27 things, but just wanted to enjoy what they had. And to reflect on the second thing is they wish they would have risked more. And the third thing, to do more things that live on after they die. To serve their generation well and pass that on to the next generation. Peter Marshall, the chaplain of the Senate years ago, wrote this. It's better to fail at a cause that will ultimately succeed than to succeed at a cause that ultimately fails. It's better to be faithful in building the church than to succeed at something that really doesn't matter. You've heard the illustration before of a young Afri African martyred for his faith, and they found us in his room after he was gone, and he wrote this. I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision's been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be stilled. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, colorless dreams, smooth knees, worldly talking, cheap giving, and small goals. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way may be rough. My guide is completely reliable, and my mission is cleared. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up for the cause of Jesus Christ. I'll go until he comes. I'll give till I drop. I'll preach till everyone knows. I'll work until he stops me, and when he comes for his own, he'll have no trouble recognizing me because my banner is pretty clear. The clock is ticking. 2015 is in front of you. It's in front of me. I think it could be one of the most amazing years we've ever faced. I think it could be an incredible opportunity for us to see people's lives change forever. More and more people whose lives can literally be changed forever because people of the family of God here at Community Alliance Church say, look, I want to make the most of the opportunities God's given me. I want to partner with him in changing children's lives and teens' lives and adult lives. I really want to partner with God. And seeing lives change for all eternity. Clock is ticking. Time is going by fast. Mission is pretty clear. Make the most of it. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your visual and vivid reminders. 
the brevity and this amazing gift called life and that you formed us and shaped us. You know everything about us. You know exactly what you want us to do, exactly how long we have to do it. And since we don't, I trust you help us to use it really, really wisely and really well to enjoy life and to partner with you and seeing other lives changed. Just for 30 seconds, listen to the Spirit of God. And if there's something specific, he says, you know, this is what I'd love for you to do. This is where I want you to connect. This is where I want you to get involved. Listen carefully and see if you hear what he may be saying to you.